0: Welcome to the Permission to Succeed
1: podcast. The purpose of our podcast is to inspire you with stories and wisdom. Learn from people who are out there killing it. People who, at some point in their life, gave themselves permission to succeed. Now, onto the show with your hosts, Matt Halloran and Doug Heikkinen. Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. We are live from the Market Council Summit Meeting in beautiful Las Vegas Four Seasons Hotel. Our next guest is Steve Lockshin, principal and founder of Advice Period. But of course, we're going to dive into a little bit more about Steve and find out about his journey. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you have a very decorated career in financial services, and I'd like to talk about your history on how you got to Advice Period. Uh, So let's back up to Convergent Wealth Advisors.
2: Well, Convergent Wealth Advisors is actually the third in a list of the same company, but it was sold twice. Oh. So it was originally called Capital Management Strategies, and I fell into the business. My girlfriend's Father's tennis partner is one of the top producers <laughs> at Lake Mason, and I interned for him one summer and fell in wow. love with the business.
1: I'm sorry. Can you, you, your girl, say that one My more time? My girlfriend's father's doubles partner in tennis. Okay. See, so I think that could be the farthest distance I've seen from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like sitting yeah. on your grandfather's lap, which we've heard that's, earlier that's today. That's really so. huh? All right. Okay. So, you interned, and then you fell in love. I mean, how did, how did all of this transpire?
2: Yeah, I was uh, supposed to be a doctor. At least that's what I thought. Uh, My father's a doctor. My brother's a doctor. But uh, I don't like blood. And uh, very quickly decided this wasn't going to work. I knew nothing about money, but I really liked this guy that I met. And I called him up one day and said, "Uh, Mr. McIntyre, I don't know anything about money, but I'd love to come work for you this summer if that's a possibility. And he said, well, we don't hire summer interns. We don't hire anybody who hasn't graduated college. But you can come work for me for free if you want. I said, all right, when do I start? Wow. And that was the beginning.
1: Okay. So are you inherently a risk taker? I mean, is this something that you were raised with? Is there a a point in your past where somebody was like injected you with the
2: willingness? Because that's a big step. Well, I don't know if a a summer internship during college is like an incredible amount of risk, but uh, let's just say I like new adventures. There you
1: go. Very nice. Very nice. Well, so so more adventures. You've had many adventures. Let's talk about
2: those other adventures and
1: how how have you gotten to advice period and where you are right now?
2: So what uh, ended up happening is I interned for this uh, this gentleman who was one of the top producers of Leg Mason, and he taught me a ton. And I ended up working at Leg Mason full time. Three days a week during college, went to class the other two. But really did not enjoy working on the Muni Bond desk. I wanted to be out doing new things. It was the same thing over and over, same steak and cheese sandwich, same people you talk to every day. And ultimately I left and went into the insurance business with a, a top producer. What was interesting about that and why it's important is taxes were always a big factor there. In other words, anybody can sell the same insurance policy, the way we add value is by coming up with the right strategy. This guy was a huge producer at work 6 a.m. every morning. It was fantastic. Great place to learn. But ultimately, one of my clients said, hey, I wonder if you can help me with my investments. I want you to do for me what these guys do for institutions. And that really was the entry point into this side of the business. I started running money and running effectively a family office for one gentleman when I was in my Mid (laughs) 20s, and that was the business that we ultimately built. And that led into Foragent and other businesses, and that business we sold, and it it all kind of emanated from there.
1: What is the biggest trend that you see right now? I mean, so you have been, uh, you have moved throughout the industry, uh, addressing different changes and different needs. What do you see as like the next big thing? And maybe that's advice, period. I don't know if I just totally set you up, man, but.
2: Well, this is a commercial for drug right? <laughs> uh, The next big thing, I, I really think the next big thing, I hope the next big thing is really consumer advocacy and mm. taking our industry from what is a poorly thought of industry, unfortunately, by most consumers and turning into a well thought of, well cared for industry. And I don't mean just cared for the consumers, but also cared for the advisors uh-huh. to help nurture them to become better professionals.
1: So is that a good explanation of what Advice Period is? Or do do you mind sharing with our audience exactly what you are building
2: now? Yeah, I mean, Advice Period was us rethinking the industry. What would we do differently? We build differently. We operate differently. We feel that investments have become somewhat commoditized. And as a result, while most of the industry is still charging an asset-based fee for what we think is somewhat of a commodity service, or even if it's not something that folks can only add maybe 100 basis points over a long period of time if they do a great job, we've said we're not going to charge a lot for that because we can simplify it, automate it, and there's not a lot of variability. But the tax side, the structural side, the relationship side, that's the stuff that we focus on. Hmm. So we changed our fee structure. We changed how we operate. We changed how clients interface with their information we really want to change the experience and that's what advice period is so
0: going back you're obviously a serial entrepreneur can you figure out when that happened to you growing up
2: I I, I don't know when it happened I think it was probably born out of necessity so my parents used let's say economics to Govern us. It was, hey, you want to go on spring break? No problem, you got to pay for it. Or you want to do this? Go get a job. And as a result, I learned to create for myself. So back then, I complained and complained, (laughs) and today I'm grateful.
0: So, do you think moving from things to things is because you can't sit still, or is it to change an environment, or just new visions you have? How does that work?
2: You mean like seeing dead people? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I think it is being eternally dissatisfied with the status quo. Um, And dissatisfied is, is probably an overbearing term, but I think we can do better. We can constantly improve, we're humans. I mean, that's what we set out to do is improve. And changing what is the status quo provides a ton of energy for me. And so that's what I get a big charge of. That's what I enjoy. So
0: this is the Permission to Succeed podcast. And it seems like it's very easy for you to give yourself permission to do new things and succeed. Is that fair?
2: I, I didn't know there was an alternative. I mean, honestly, it wow. was that was the way I always thought of stuff. It wasn't why, it was, why not? We can do this, or how about this? Or there's a better way to cut the lawns in the neighborhood or a better way to deliver the papers or a better way to arrange your babysitting or whatever it was. So to me, it wasn't, the notion, I don't think entrepreneurs set out to be entrepreneurs. I think they set out to solve a problem.
0: So you don't have that fear chip of fear of failure. It's just go,
2: go. I actually embrace failure. It's certainly easier as I've gotten older because you learn to have a failure budget. That if it's like skiing, if you're not falling, you're not skiing hard enough. And for me, I want to try stuff. We constantly spend money and time trying things. Of which let's say 70% succeed. But that's better than 50%. And ultimately, if they succeed, we can leverage those things into something better. And we've had things that failed. In fact, the 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 thing that I wanted to succeed most failed. But I haven't given up on it mentally. I, I believe that ultimately we'll be able to employ this. And this was a a program that we put together to help consumers kinda separate the white hats from the gray hats and the black hats in the industry called advising. And it, it failed. It failed financially. It failed uh, in terms of engagement. It failed in terms of getting uh, custodians involved. But I still think it was the right thing. It was just at the wrong time. And this will have an, we'll have an opportunity to recreate this. Which in a, In me. a better form. I hope so. In a successful form. But it may fail again.
0: But it's the right thing. It, it, it seems like it's the right thing and it's your passion, the consumer advocacy thing.
2: Yes,
1: And we can hear that in your voice. That's super awesome. I, I love that. And, and you just said something that I'm going to take with me forever, which is failure budget. I don't think people do that, Steve. I, I don't think I, there's such a fear of failure. But what we're hearing on the Permission to Succeed podcast is the embracing of falling down, not failure, but falling down, getting back up and saying, okay, what what happened, right? Do you have a process for that? So after something doesn't go well... How do you make an assessment of the situation? Do you have like
2: a process? Is it just something that naturally happens with you? Help me with that. I, well, there's always a postmortem. So that, that, since we're talking about failure, and I think failure probably is the wrong word, it is experimentation. Sure. Um, and so when an experiment doesn't work, you pivot and try a new experiment. Um, but there's always a post mortem review. And going in, I think it's important to have that budget so In that regard, we said we're going to spend X dollars over Y period of time, and then we'll evaluate whether or not it's succeeding. We do that over and over and over. And as I said, not all things succeed, not not by any stretch, but enough succeed to propel you forward. Do you ever look externally for permission? Other than my wife, who's probably (laughs) uh, my North Star and will call me out on my BS Uh or overbelief. Not too often because to be innovative, if you will, you have to go against the grain. If you go against the grain, most of the people are going to tell you that's not going to work or no, or this is how we do it. They spend time driving, looking in the rearview mirror and I want to innovate. I want to do tomorrow's thing, not yesterday's thing.
1: How do you do that, man? I mean, that's, isn't that like the, I think that's a million dollar question, especially in financial services is what is next? How, how are you, cause you've consistently Been one step ahead, and that's why I am familiar with who you are because that's the buzz. It's this guy is like he's just a couple of steps ahead of everybody.
2: How are you doing that? Is it an analytical aspect of your brain? Help me with that. I wish I had an answer. I don't know. Part of it is just believing that this is the way that things make sense to do. And by the way, being being first or being ahead doesn't necessarily mean you win. Look at Netscape. (laughs) I mean, they 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 were first. They crushed it for a little while, and then they got crushed. So. You got to define what matters to you. And it's taken me 50 plus years to figure out that it isn't about the financial driver as much as it's about the emotional driver. So my trade off often is I care about the outcome and whether or not it is changing things and improving things more than I care about making the dollar. You know, once you Mm -hmm. get above the, I certainly won't call it the subsistence level, but let's say the lifestyle level, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to get to the next thing. It matters to make a change. I mean, Jack Bogle is my hero. Here's a guy who didn't care about the money as much as he cared about the principal.
1: Now, besides your wife, what other people have you surrounded yourself with in order to support you and continually
2: push you to be a better person?
0: And, and are those people different each time? Oh, great question.
2: There's a consistent pattern of truth tellers. And so... The people that you want around you, I think, are the people who are going to call you out on your weaknesses, your blind spots, and support you, and also humble you when you're doing well, so you don't get out over your skis. They've generally been consistent that I don't think I eject someone uh, from my life when I move on from Project A to Project B, so I'm grateful that I get to pick these people up and expand my universe, but it's still a small universe. You can only have so many true trusted relationships.
0: Let's get to the advice part.
1: All right. The big goal of this podcast is for young entrepreneurs to allow themselves, to give themselves that permission to succeed, right? So if you were to give them a piece of advice, what would you like to tell them?
2: Oh, God, you're limiting me to one? Oh, no. I mean, you can
1: take <laughs> no. a couple, really. We've got time.
2: I yeah. mean, I think, I think ultimately you've got to pick something that you're passionate about. You know, purpose... Is and meaning are the essential components for success in anything. Even if you want to be the best janitor or the best mailman, it's pride in what you do and enjoyment in what you do and trying to do it better and different. And so I I think it's finding a thing you're passionate about. Otherwise, it's work, hence the name. I don't want it to be work. You know, my buddy Ron Carson says, if you love what you do every day, it's not work. You're going out and doing what you love every day. And so I think it's finding that and not being afraid to pivot when it's not going the way you want and surrounding yourself with the right people to call you out and say, Hey, you know what, this, you don't seem happy. This doesn't seem right. Or what about this? So there are a lot of factors that, that are involved, but having a good network is, is if I had to pick one piece of advice, I'd say that's it. Fantastic.
1: Well, Steve, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. And the idea of the show, remember is to find out and give yourself permission to take that next step. Because if you look at the failure budget, as Steve said, and you're putting that in at the beginning, that can change your entire game. So for Steve Lockshin, for Iris, Doug Heikinen, and everybody at Top Advisor Marketing, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. This was brought to you by Iris.xyz,
0: a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.